Tamara Williamson podcast, the making of Still Here. I didn't have any plans to make a new record beginning of 2020. I was knee deep in the production of my musical, The Breakup Diet, when a friend of mine said to me, did you hear about the flu going around? As things started to fall apart, my rehearsal stopped and we closed our doors. I started to get itchy. It seems as an artist, I have to have pure inspiration or boredom as a motivator for creating. And I had both the virus itself, the fear and the sudden change in the world outside my door, an entanglement with a particularly complicated man and lockdown. I picked up my guitar and started playing. My first plan was to record a track and send it to a friend and ask them to add on and keep sending. The problem with that is, well, it's complicated and also I'm stupidly fast. I want to just get things done today. I've always been that way and it's probably to my detriment, but it's what it is. So I pushed that idea aside and decided I would ask some very trusted and brilliant friends to collaborate. In my mind, I wanted to make my best work ever. Just because I was recording at home didn't mean it had to sound like a demo. So this podcast is going to be on the making of the song from beginning to end. Um, then I may do a podcast on the industry side of releasing a song and the challenges involved in that. And then the last one, um, we'll talk about how the song did or where it led to or if anything happened. So uh, thank you for joining me on this journey. Here we go. You didn't mean to say it, but you're mean to me. I meant to say it because I'm we're darning holes, but we wear no clothing. I'm going to start We're with a conversation I had with Mitchell Jurio. Um, Mitch and I have worked together for years. He's just We're the best. He's so easy to work with, so talented. Um, he has to find the insides and outs of the industry. He, he's great at arrangement at all kinds of different instruments. Bass is his bass is his main instrument I think um production there is a signal engineering he's just he's just a resource that of a huge magnitude and so fun um, so we bounced back and forth ideas a few times a day sometimes to get to the this ending record that we've made anyway here he is this is conversation well here's me starting talking about how to how I wrote this song but this is a conversation with Mitchell Jiria. I, I think it, it's sort of, you know, an interesting way to work. Like, so I recorded vocal and guitar um, for, for quite a few songs. And the first song was Blue Skies. I wanted to make it a happy, beautiful song from that. Cause you know, my songs t <laughs> tend to be a little darker. And I wrote that about my son and I wanted it to be just something beautiful. So 
It, I think it is. And I wanted to make a song that just made your heart feel really beautiful when you listen to it, which is so unlike me. sort of just um sat down <clears throat> and i wrote this during covid like during the lockdown and um again for me writing during this lockdown has been i guess most of us artists are, are sensitive vulnerable people and so this this whole pandemic and lo- being locked down in your house is is frightening for everybody um but for the for the songwriter or the writer or whatever it's it's um definitely inspiring you to create because firstly you have tons of time and secondly you're emotional um so i wrote this song very much from an emotional um standpoint about a relationship i'm i was having but also about the the relationship of humans I think, which is lyric, all the lyrics of, you know, we're still smiling, fighting, loving, living, all those things. So that was the, that was the process. That was the writing of the idea. And then um, I sent you the vocal. And um, yeah, I think I, I pretty much asked you to make every song dance, right? Well, originally. Yeah. Originally, so uh, and uh, so that was when it was just the vocals, and I was just making up stuff uh, harmonically where they were, the, the changes were going to be based on uh, just how I was hearing it in the moment, and uh, then and, and then you responded with the oh is that what you're hearing kind of thing, <laughs> you know? and I think and then I realized oh of course you know you didn't just send me a vocal I mean I mean you did send me a vocal sorry but in in your head you had all these changes you'd actually written a song and yeah. then I just and all I was hearing was a melody and it was like it could go in you know so many different directions it could be droney and just go into these chord changes and that's interesting because for still here so it's true i'd record vocals and guitar and then take the guitar off and just send mitch vocals uh, vocals and a click and um just see what he came up with and it was really interesting but it, uh, it didn't really work um we ended up with one song called blame This is what I sent him, just so you understand what he was working from. You didn't mean to say it, but you're mean to me. I meant to say it, cause I'm hurt. We're darning holes, but we wear no clothing. We're darning holes, but we're... We're still laughing. We're just trying. So for those to of you who've never recorded a song, um, it, on the computer, it's done in way. in waves, waveforms. So imagine a big white board on the wall with a ton We're of stripes smiling. on it. Every stripe is one of the instruments. 
And sometimes it takes eight stripes to do an instrument, like the drums, because you put eight different microphones on a drum kit around that. Or you might do, as I do, I do about 10 different vocals. So I, you know, um, or you'll have four guitar tracks. Um, as you can see, you end up with a wall with a ton of stripes on them. When you're having fun with little sounds and, and inventing a song, you can put a stripe, you can cut a section out and put it at a different section. You can fly stuff around because a computer can do anything, any task you want. You can cut and paste. Um, so it it's just about time. It's just how much time do you want to throw at that? And of course, I had a lot of time. So then Mitch did a bass line that um, was great. And I thought we'd build on that. But the bass line didn't work in the chorus and stuff because it didn't change. But here's some of the bass line. second set of files was from Tom Third. And it was interesting because at first I was just going, what is going on? Like, what? Why are these things not matching? And then I listened to Tom, uh, Tom's, uh, he didn't send me, he didn't say, send you everything. He just sent you certain tracks uh, that he had done. And, and I said, why is this not matching at all? And then I listened to his reference mix again. I thought, oh, wow, he was, he was following chord changes that I had played on bass originally only listening to your melody completely different chord changes than your actual end chord chord sequence which we, which is what we ended up following right we ended up yeah. following your actual guitar and he had completely different changes because he was following my bass line yes I, sorry my original bass line so Tom Third who I've known for 20 years um 20 years and weirdly we work on something probably every five years or four years but it's very sporadic and we it was so nice touching base with Tom again and we had the most amazing talk talking about doing this song because um, I didn't talk I just messaged him and said do you want to play on this and I sent it to him and I just said have fun and yeah he just did this amazing work changing it quite a lot but I love what he did and I think I should also release that this is Tom Third talking to me about this experience and he is a genius and a sweet sweet guy anyway this is some of what he said about this process you know you you kind of said in a really kind of nice way you know just try some things maybe some loops maybe some this maybe some that and uh, and it was completely wide open 
And because it didn't, because that, that one of them had drums, I think, one of them did. Um, but there was one, yeah, with no percussion stuff at all. So I thought, well, I'll just put some stuff in. But I ended up making it like an instinctively like a little more acoustic sounding as opposed to kind of totally sort of drum machine world in some stuff. So when I heard Steve's drums, it's like, oh, what a relief. Because there's just so much life in that. And you can't, programming that, you know, is the part time consuming. And in the end, a bit of a fool's errand if you've got this amazing drummer that can just sit down and like feel the thing. And yeah. a lot happens. That's the thing, I mean, all musicians know that. It's like if the drummer kind of locks in and adds some vibe and there's those fills and, you know, stuff is happening, um, um, a lay person will just listen to that and go, that, that sounds great. But it's so fundamental to how it affects the other musicians in the band and how they play and how the bass sounds against the drums, all that stuff. I mean, it's it, anyway. When I heard a basketball, you saw I was, I responded in all caps, <laughs> which I reserved for very, very special occasions. But I just, I was like, I was so excited to hear it, and it was radically different than you had first sent me. And I was so, so it was like a. Um, there, there were two things fun about that. One is that it's like, oh God, this sounds great. And the drums, it's in stereo, and Steve's like laying down this groove, and boom, it's like that. It's also to hear the um, evolution of the song from that early germ of an idea to a finished thing, and how much happens is kind of hilarious. As, yeah. as you know, as, as someone you know working on something, but just as a fan, it's to hear this early germ of the idea and then hear the full-fledged you know, creation, and to wonder what on earth happened in between that thing and, and you know, the first idea and the finished thing. Like, how did it get there? Yeah. And, you, and you do mapping, you know, you go, oh, well, that thing is sort of in the original. And as you're listening, you're kind of like, it's a neat experience because you're hearing the finished song, you're hearing the ghost of the other one underneath it. Oh, that changed. Oh, that changed. And all that tension between the original incarnation, you know, the scaffolding in some sense, and then the, the song that results is thrilling to listen to. So this is my little song. And you didn't I think in general it, that a lot of value is given to I a songwriter, to a lot of the rights and everything, but not hopes, enough is given we to the production and the orchestration of that idea because you can make or break a song with its orchestration and production. We're still These guys, smiling. Steve, Mitch, and Tom, brought We're this idea to life to and made this song into a thing that's bigger than itself. Anyway, so I sent my song <laughs> to Steve Pitkin, as we've discussed, and he added drums and yeah, I'll play you that next. I know, it doesn't sound like much, but let's add the bass so you can see what's really going on. different world maybe in the 70s you'd have been allowed to do that stuff well it's interesting you gave a lot of leeway on the song like you, i think you said that you'd send a raw track of just you and mitch to me and one to 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 tom right yeah but so what i had was a very skeletal version 
So where I put fills are like you kind of left it up to me to almost feel out where it, the song is supposed to get big or where it's you know where it's supposed to come down or whatever. And so I need to repeat that a few times and then sort of get the the structure. But that said, you know, and and to to fills or whatever, try to do a version that has almost no fills, and then do something with a bunch of fills in as well. Right? So mm-hmm. it kind of gives you a choice because I don't even know what you're maybe looking for. So I've known Steve Pitkin since 1994 when we were in a band called Mrs. Torrance. He's one of my favorite people. He's so fun, such a great drummer as well. So bouncy and full of life. He always makes me laugh when he drums. I just love it. Um, He's in a very great band called Elliot Brood. um, And ever since I've known him, he's been tinkling around with gadgets. He was always known for being on his phone (laughs) way too much. And um, he's turned into a great producer, engineer, and also does some mastering. Um, he's just a, a stellar, stellar musician. How, how many times do you think you listened to the song before you played it? Uh, not too much. Like, I probably listened to it under five mm-hmm. times, but then I played it probably about 20 times. So it's, I'm playing, I'm trying to get it to a point where I'm playing the song and know the song. And that's where where the intuition comes in because you can't just do a fill for no reason. Like you have to kind of know uh, the shape of the song and then you react to it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, it really brought this this song to life, and it was funny how your drum track then changed kind of the journey of the song. I kind of wanted this album to be a bit more like maybe tomorrow with techno and loops and then when I sent it to you you brought it back to what is it's sort of more naturally sound of of a songwriter song because it has bigger parts and smaller parts whereas loops are very constant right they're just yeah anyone who's using loops I think if you want to get more out of your songs find places to you know change it up yeah makes it better yeah. Back to the loop. If it's just playing through the whole song, you're kind of killing it. Yeah. Again, it pointed out to me how great other people's brains are and what they can add to, you know, projects. Well, to you, to I mean, your credit, I would say it's about trust. Because you never said you have to play this here, you have to play that there. And no. Just like play, add drums, and send it back to me. That's all. That was the total instruction, right? <laughs> Yeah, appreciate that because uh, it you know it lets me hear it in a totally unadulterated way. It's just I get to do my take on it. So Mitch and Steve recorded a lot of stuff, and um, I recorded keyboards, and we started to put all this stuff together. And I had this mix going at home, which I thought sounded okay. Um, and then Mitch suggested that he should mix it because he's well i said if you think you can make it sound better then yes of course you should do it so yes he did (laughs) and so i sent everything to him and then tom third sent his stuff and yeah it was way too much for me to mix so everything went back to mitch and mitch started the job of mixing um and it was a great process because then he would 
he did a mix and he just sent it to me and said this is a conversation starter and then I suggested different things put that louder maybe take that out and we went back and forth um, I don't know about 10 times um, and yeah it was I loved the process usually I'm in a studio and I can't my ears start lying and I can't figure out anything but this way I could listen to it listen to it a few hours later I loved I loved hearing the mix in this way um, so yeah this is Mitch talking about that yeah, and I find that physically the ears uh, you know uh, I come in in the morning first thing I'm listening to what I did last night and then it's like oh I'm hearing things I didn't hear or the balances are coming across a different way or the whole mix is is much brighter than I thought or much darker than I thought I like listening to different references to kind of keep me kind of kind of keep some perspective but even the references hit me differently it's it's, yeah. it's a fascinating thing i did a, I, I did, then I did told a me a long story about an artist and with, uh, string arrangements and it was really it was in great detail and then it was, yeah it was wonderful but still i don't know why i'm saying that actually maybe that actually it's completely irrelevant actually i'd say that <laughs> melanie has <laughs> Let me let me backtrack on that one. <laughs> so I was working on this, on this this EP with Melanie, and uh, and she had some you know some requests on on vocal tones and stuff like that, and picked some songs, uh, some reference points that she thought were relevant to you know where she wanted to go, and uh, I brought them up, and I brought other records that I liked that were kind of were female singers and kind of Americana or a little pop or whatever it is, and I brought them all up, and it was a lot. Mm. And I'm just going from track to track to track, and it was, it was dizzying. Yeah, the record was so different, and and these were just simply conscious choices that people made at that time. None of them were wrong. I loved all the records, or or if I didn't love the record, I, you know, it was it was a sound recording and a sound mix, and it was like, this is pretty good but it's different the next one and the next one and the next one where they put the vocal in the mix the tone of the vocal the music how much bottom end there is how bright things get they just completely different choices and yet they were all fine they're all great and it was a matter of you know choosing and feeling good about what you're doing and just committing and letting a lot of that stuff go Choosing and feeling good about what you're doing, committing. But it was great to get perspective. I do like to get the perspective on my speakers, and but like I said, every day I might feel emotionally a different, you know, a different thing. I might say, oh, it's feeling too, you know, too honk, like too much of a honk in the um, in the nasal portion of the mix or something like so that. So then me and Mitch so talked about Billie Eilish and like her low, low James Bond kind of theme thing. song. Like, yeah, and yeah, we just, we talked for a good hour you know, after this. Um, as you can tell. Yeah, he's a pretty fun guy. Anyway, moving on. So then you've got your mix, which is takes, it's so laborious and it's, you have to trust yourself at some stage, I guess, but 
we got, we got a mix I was really happy with pretty quickly. So that went really well. And then I, uh, I uh, put it back to Steve to master it because that's another skill that Steve Pitkin has. He masters songs as well. So it's great. Just sent it yeah. back to him. I mastered it, right? Yeah. I really appreciate the privilege of being able to master anything for anybody. You know, I've been doing it for quite a while and I still feel somewhat of an imposter at times because um, even though I swear I know what I'm doing, you know, I've gone, I went to Boston for a few days to Isotope headquarters and confirmed that I know what I'm doing. Like, you know, I'd been doing it for a while, but you know, in the early days, I made a lot of mistakes too. And, and that's part of, I think, learning how to do it right. And so what is it, right? It's uh, it, usually mastering sounds louder uh, and then therefore kind of better because it's louder. And that's like, it's like sort of a um, natural thing for the ears to believe. And it's not always better if it's louder. You can definitely ruin things in mastering. And you could even ruin things in mastering and the client would be fooled to think it's better just because it's louder. So it's, it's like, a, for me, it's a very comparative thing and I have to listen to them at the same level. And there's ways to do that. Like you match the average uh, volume of each. And uh, well, in the software too, there's a little applet that'll do that. So you can actually hear the before and after at, and compare them at the same level. And then there's just things like, uh, as you said, fresh ears, like just EQ, you know, and then how much sort of compression you can maybe use to get it to a higher level. Um, how long does a mastering session usually take? It's hard. Like, you usually don't need more than an hour for a song, you know, or less depending on the setup. Like I have some presets that I'll start with and then kind of go from there. And, you know, like anything, like you don't want to necessarily go down a rabbit hole either. Right. But I mean, I just listen for like typical things like where the bass and the kick drum are sitting. And sometimes there's some EQ things to take away right away. like lower mids usually there's like some sort of conflicting stuff and then there's also some often like sibilants or there's you know areas in the high end that you want to just make sure that they're not going to peak out when you bring the level up and then you kind of bring it maybe you know there's uh there's standards of course with streaming as well right which are which sound oddly quieter than you usually hear but once it's it's uh, it's it's done that way in in a way to keep the uh, dynamics um, as big as people would like them because there was sort of a trend for a while mastering to just in the louder is better like mine's louder than yours and that would just kind of crush everything into this little loud zone and you probably heard it like um, like I personally have there's some albums I don't really want to name. The artist, but um, where it's supposed to be quiet, but it's not. It's mm. like brushed up to the top, and it's just like it kind of ruins what would have been a sensitive, you know, dynamic recording. You know, it's it's like baking. Like you just 
got to take it out of the oven before it's, you know, too late. And here we are. We have the song still here, ready to put out into the world. And how do you do that? Well, I'll go into that on the next podcast. Walking Thank you for listening. Bye. And we're, we're still fighting. We're still trying to find our way. Trying to find our way. you